and to 23. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll give our confession of faith together today. This is the confession of the church for the last 2,000 years. We are joining with one big church now and confessing the gospel as our own. That this Jesus that's being confessed for all these years is the same Jesus that's saving us and our individual problems and is our hope for the future and for eternity. Do you believe that, church? So should we say this with conviction? Okay. Christ Church, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh wait, stop. <laughs> He's good too, but we're, we're just going to start at the beginning. Sorry, I had it scrolled up a little too high. Sorry about that. <laughs> with conviction. <laughs> Let's try this again. Christ Church, do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this Sunday is a special Sunday for us as we are taking the next three weeks before Easter to actually talk about topics that are for our youth. Now, our youth have been on a journey for, I think it's nine or ten weeks, hasn't it, um, of preparing to make a personal decision to either one, be baptized, or to be confirmed, which I'm going to explain more in the weeks to come. But what they're essentially wrestling with is whether or not they, as their individual person, are going to trust in and follow Jesus. So we applaud the time they have devoted to this, don't we? We applaud the time they have devoted to this. <laughs> 
Because the, I think the process for our kids is that as they've grown up under the faith of their parents, they now come to an age to discern and decide for themselves. And Rich Whiteman and Jackie um, have done a great job of teaching that time, preparing the curriculum for that time. But the emphasis so far in that process has been to go, to take the time to really answer the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Predominantly by looking at Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Now, last week's class for the kids was to look at their union with Jesus in their baptism. That their old identity falls away, the sinfulness, the independence, the shame, the guilt, the brokenness, that passes away. And their new life, their new identity in Jesus rises from that watery grave. They're righteous, accepted, celebrated, whole, and open and available to right relationship with God through Jesus. Isn't that good news? Now, what we're going to do for the next three weeks, though, I think what the kids have focused on is their individual faith in Jesus. And one of the emphasis of our church is Get specific about your need for Jesus. I think you'll notice that's an emphasis that I give to just about everything. If this is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus has accomplished, then get specific about where you need it. Right? That it's not just theoretical belief in Jesus or this generalized belief in Jesus. It's specific things about Him for specific things about us. Now, I'll tell you, that's kind of hard. You know why that's hard? Because it's personal. We really have to wrestle with ourselves, with our story, where we've come from, where we've been, who we are. But it's also difficult because there's a lot of things there having to do with sin that are painful, right? Either sins we've committed or sins in this world committed against us. Who likes talking about that? That's hard, isn't it? So I think we want our kids to understand that this Jesus is not just a theory. This Jesus is for you. And then when they say, well, this is my story, or this is what I've been through, or this is what's been hard for me, then we can say, Jesus is for that. This Jesus is for that part of your life and that part of your story. And that should feel like a relief to our kids. That passing on our faith isn't primarily, these are the things you sign up to upkeep. These are the rules and the regulations that we expect to you, and this is what it means, or else. No, what we're saying is, this Jesus, these essentials about Jesus, we can't lose them. This is our gold. This is our inheritance, right? And this part of your life is meant to receive them. So the work of our church is to say, you are so valuable, so loved, but also you've been through so much already. There's so much sin at work in your life, even in our family, that we need Jesus. And that that's really what it means to pass him on to future generations. 
The next part, though, and this is the part that we're going to focus on for the next three weeks, is it's not just this Jesus for you as an individual. It's also about you becoming part of the church. That this is part of that process. And so I'm going to answer some questions in the coming weeks like, what does it mean to be a part of the church? What does it mean to be an Anglican church? To put that bluntly, what the heck is that? What's an Anglican church? Is it, who wants to know the answer to that question? <laughs> I get emails from me all the time. Somebody going, tell me, what is this? Okay, that's a good problem for us to have. So I want to look at that. I want to talk about that. And because for us as families, our kids are being baptized or confirmed into the Anglican church. So I think it would be helpful for us to know what that is. But there's an... Thank you, Ari. She's got my back. But I think there's an order of importance before we can answer that question about what is Anglicanism. What does it mean to be an Anglican church? We have to first lay some groundwork, which I think they've been doing for the last 10 weeks, is first and foremost, we are Christians. We are in Christ. That is our primary, right? Secondly, we are in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So we have to explain that, I think, next. And then thirdly, we are Anglican. But there's an order of importance in that. But before we can get to those things, I think we have to ask this fundamental question first. Can I be a Christian and not be in the church? I I think that's a big question today because our culture values individuality over community. It's very easy for us to say, I can be a Christian, but I don't need the church. I like Jesus, I just don't like the church. The question is, can we do that? Here's my answer to that. I think it's actually an impossibility. It's not a question of whether or not we should or we can. It's whether or not it's possible, and I don't actually think it's possible. And let me explain why. Being part of Jesus, united with him, equals being part of the church. You can't help it. (laughs) Here's the funny thing. You don't actually have a choice. If If you choose to believe in Jesus, to be with Jesus, to receive Jesus, I actually don't think you have the option, or the power, I should say, to not be in the church. You're stuck. And here's why. Because Jesus talks about the church like this. The church is his temple made of living stones, each one of us. The church is his body, which he is the head. And the church is his beloved bride. Those are some of the ways that Jesus talks about the church. Is this complicated yet? So here's the deal. We can never remove Jesus from his temple that he created. We cannot decapitate Jesus from his body. I don't think you should try that either. 
And you can't divorce Jesus from his bride. So this is the way Jesus relates to the church. This is the way he thinks about himself with the church. So, if that's the way Jesus is, and that's what Jesus values, and that's how Jesus sees himself, can you separate Jesus from the church in order to just be with you? Is it possible? I, I just don't think it's possible. To be with Jesus, we must be with his church. Because what's happening is this mystical union. So here, let's answer this next question then. What is the church? Church literally means gathering or gathered ones. So this language of church is about, Je about Jesus gathering us into him spiritually. So if Tessa believes in Jesus and is united to Jesus in her baptism, and I believe in Jesus and am united to Jesus in my baptism, guess what Tessa and I are? We're kind of connected, aren't we? We have a common denominator. If she is united to Jesus and I am united to Jesus, then guess what we are? United to each other. Connected. So there's this spiritual piece of it going, if you are one with Jesus, you end up being one with all the people Jesus is one with. That's the spiritual mystery of it. Right? But also, church, the gathering, so we're spiritually gathered into Jesus, but also we are physically gathered unto Jesus in our gathering. The church is actually known as the gatherers. That's the nature of it. So this idea of like individuality that goes, I just am the church by myself, somehow trusting in that spiritual union, but not actually wanting to live that out in real life, there's an incongruency there, right? We want to express physically what's happening spiritually with Jesus. Now, the early church, which is the church led and built by the apostles, describe what the church is through these four words. And it comes up in the Nicene Creed, which we just did through the season of Advent. And when we use that creed, we hear this every Sunday. But here's the four things. One, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. These are the four ways that the early church described what the church is at its essence. So what does one mean? Well, it means this spiritual union piece, that we are one in Christ. That our salvation is deeply personal, getting to the specifics of our lives, but it's also communal. That our salvation isn't just for me and my personal journey. My salvation is for my relational life. My communal life. So we're all, all those who believe in Jesus are one church in Christ. The next phrase though, having moved from an I believe in Jesus to a we believe in Jesus, the next word is holy. That means the church is your church primarily, 
No, this church is God's church. That's why it's called Christ's church. This church is about what Jesus likes. <laughs> it's not primarily about trying to convince you to come to our church by going, what do you like and what can we make it for you? That's a bit of a bummer. But this church is predominantly about what Jesus likes and what Jesus wants and us growing into the fullest expression of what that would look like. So it's not primarily ours, it's God's. And it is made holy by God. So it's God's church and His church should seek to follow God's ways and His nature and His character and to become like Him. So we're one, holy, and Catholic. Who struggles with that word? Catholic. You ever find that one where you're like, we're, we're Catholic? Like when you say it in the creed, and it's like maybe you come from a Pentecostal background or somewhere else, and then the creed says, one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic, and you're like, did I just say something bad? Do I want to be Catholic? Here's what Catholic means. It just means universal. Now, some people change the creed to say one holy universal church. I don't actually agree with that. I don't think that's helpful. Because Catholic has specific meaning and it's worth keeping. It's universal, meaning the church is for all nations and all people all across the globe. That means the church isn't just for the Jew, it's also for the Gentile. The church isn't just for the English. It's for the rest of the world. The church isn't owned by Rome. The church is owned by God, and it's for all people. Does that make sense? That's what it means to be Catholic. Meaning, our church is a global church. Do you want to be a part of a global church? Right? So that's actually good news, isn't it? And it speaks to the open doors of Christ going, this is for all. It's not based on pedigree. It's not based on family lineage. It's for everybody. So one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And this is the piece we'll spend the most time on today. What does it mean to be apostolic? It means continuing to hold the ways of the apostles. Specifically, the scriptures, the writings of the apostles, the teachings, and the traditions. We actually want the church of today to, to look like, to a certain degree, the church of the apostles. Don't we? We want the original, the authentic, and the continuing. That's what we want. We want our church to look like the apostolic church. Now, but our church is here, on the island, in Canada. So it should probably speak some English. Right? It should look like us. But there are pieces that are essential. So if it's going to be for the whole world, it's not that the church has to look exactly Greco-Roman. Right? Like the first century. 
pieces if it's going to be for the whole world and fit into every culture and people and different expressions and languages of who they are. But there has to be something that is essential that gets passed on, right? That makes sense? So what are those things? What are the essentials of the apostolic church? Well, based on Acts 2, we get a great summary of what that looks like. And we break it down into kind of four key areas. So let's just walk through it quickly. It says, first, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So what they did is they said, we really value the fact that Jesus said he's going to entrust his message to the apostles himself. And you have to understand this. Jesus didn't write letters or write a best-selling book. What Jesus did is chose 12 disciples to say, you will walk with me, be with me, you will see the full revelation of me. And I'll entrust the good news of me to your eyes, to your hearts, to what you see of me. Don't you just wish Jesus wrote a book? Wouldn't that have been simpler in some ways? But here's what we have to understand. This is how Jesus chose, this is his plan. This is how he built his church. So what the early church does then is devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. For us, that looks like the scriptures. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. What does that sound like? Communion. That's a consistent part and primary part of the life of the church. We want the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Which means that there are prayers in the tradition that are handed down through the generations. Here's what it says next. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So there's a supernatural nature to the church. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They lived sacrificially in relationship. And then the last piece is this. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. How's that for a lifestyle? Glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So salvation. So these are the five keys. Scriptural, sacramental, supernatural, sacrificial, and salvations. This is what the apostolic church, these are the essentials of the church. That make sense? So here's what we end up having then. The church is built in and upon Jesus himself. Right? He is the one we're connected to. He is the one we're believing in. He is the one we're confident in. He's the one we're looking to participate with and be in. Jesus is everything about the church, right? And so what should happen primarily in the church? Meeting with Jesus. First and foremost. The absolute highest priority of the church is Jesus himself. 
So what the church needs to be built upon is that apostolic message, that witness and that testimony of who Jesus is, that the church needs to exist in a good news state. Have we got something good to tell you? That there's a solution and there's help and there's salvation available for your present problems. This is what we believe and exist for. So it's all about God's love, saving the world in Jesus, and being available now by the Holy Spirit. This is our everything. This is why when we show it, we have the cornerstone at the center and the church built upon it. Jesus is our everything. Do we believe that? Do we want that? So when somebody is getting baptized into the church or confirmed or choosing to publicly proclaim their faith, they're saying, I am a part of Jesus' church and this is Jesus' everything. Everything is about Jesus. This is what I'm signing up for. The next thing is, is that we love the Scriptures. Why? Because this is the way God has chosen to communicate Himself to us. This is the history of the world in God's love. It's all one big story from beginning to end of God saving humanity. And so, obviously, every verse, every chapter, every word is pointing to the promise. It's revealing the fulfillment. It's showing our hope. And who is that? Jesus. So the Scriptures are at the center of our gathering. The reason we do long readings even, this is part of the history of the church, is that they were so stoked on Jesus that they gathered together and went, let's just read a lot out loud. Isn't that kind of lovely, simple, and wonderful? To just, I, I actually want to do this someday, to be like, church today is the letter to the Ephesians. To just sit together, read the whole book, and go, where do we see Jesus? That kind of like early church excitement to go, teach us more, show us more, give us the implications of Jesus. Shouldn't that be what it's like? When somebody goes, the first reading is this, and everyone goes, yes! I've been waiting all week for this moment. Like this sense of like, where is he going to be? What are we going to see? What salvation is this going to open up for us? So we, this is a beautiful mix. We show up in our need. We open the scriptures and read about Jesus. And then we connect the two. Here's my biggest need. And here's God's great salvation. And let's bring them together. Isn't that exciting? So if you show up at church, and this is something, my kids don't get this yet, but I want them to get this. When they wake up on Sunday and they're like, I'm so tired, and I'm so grumpy, and I so don't want to get presentable, and I so don't want to do this, I just want them to go, that's normal. We all feel that way at first. It's just like, I'm so tired, and this... Life is so hard, and do I really want to go to church? And it's so much work to get there. 
And I got to set up chairs, and we got to buy cupcakes. And we wait in the van forever, Dad, because you never leave. <laughs> this is the conversation we have every week. Pickleball is the best thing that's happened to my kids because it forces us to leave on time. But we all feel like that. Why? Because we're feeling our weakness, our insufficiency, the weight and the hardship of this world. We're feeling the darkness. We're feeling our sin, like our sinful tendencies to go, I actually know I need good things, but I don't want to do it. That's normal. You don't grow out of feeling that way. But what we do know is that we go, if I can fight these feelings and just get there, I'm going to encounter Jesus. Isn't that church? It's like, if I can just get there. And then, have you ever found yourself leaving on a Sunday going, oh, that felt terrible? No. It's like, oh, I heard the good news. Oh, what a relief. Oh, I received Jesus. I can feel its benefit. You leave lifted. I'll be honest with you. I come in Sunday. I'm up early. I'm praying, getting ready for this thing. But I don't feel good until I'm leaving. Then I'm like, that was great. I can feel it all. I'm like, "I, I didn't just survive that. It was like good. Full of Jesus, I'm full of love. It's intoxicating. Church should feel like that, shouldn't it? Sunday drivers shouldn't be slow. They should be racing to get to church. That's never gonna happen. <laughs> I, I, the amount of times I have to tell myself, Ryan, you're wearing a collar. They're gonna know. If you speed. I remember one time I was late and I didn't want to wait for this lady in front of me. So I just ripped out beside her and just blasted past her. Got to the church because I, was, was, I shouldn't have been running late, but I was. Pulled in, parked, got out of the car, and she pulls in the parking lot. <laughs> it was like that moment Jesus was like, Ryan, this is your one time. Don't ever do that again. Like, all right, all right. But like for us to go, the scriptures are treasured for us. It's 2,000 years of our family history. It's 2,000 years of God's redemption story in terribly hard, difficult places. Like the amount of times I got to, we do our morning readings with my family, and I'm like, just a heads up, just because this is in the Bible doesn't mean God agrees with it. God is working in this really terrible situation. That's the story to go, we're looking for the promise. But then by the time we get here, we're holding them up and saying, these are our sacred writings. We come under them, not over them. And we come to receive them looking as hungry people for a meal in Jesus. So we read them aloud, proclaim them in preaching, unpack them in teaching, and receive them as though from the very mouth of the Holy Spirit to our heart. Isn't that what it means to be a part of Christ's church?
I've got to keep moving. Now the sacraments. The reason these are so central for us, number one is that Jesus commands that, commands that we do them, remember them. But the second piece is this, and this is beautiful, is we not only hear about Jesus in the Bible, he then sets a table to say, the grace that I proclaim to you is present. Jesus is saying, I'm present in my word, and I'm present at my table. And the grace that I'm offering you is not theoretical, it's real. So this is a table set for one thing. Do you know what that is? Encounter. You come to the table to eat the accomplishments of Jesus. You come to the table to feed on the grace that you're thirsty for. This is a holy table because no longer is God just in a temple. God has set a table and saying, come into my presence and eat. The table is transcendent. Some of the historic language of the church is, you get to come in, not only hear about God, but approach Him. Is that good news yet? And what you will find when you get into the Holy of Holies, because of the work of Jesus, because of the blood of the Lamb, what's waiting for you there is what? A table. And at that table is a seat. Who's the seat for? You. We gather around this table, and what do we eat? We eat the accomplished promises of God for salvation. Isn't that wild? Do you want to encounter God? Do you want to feel His presence? Do you want the saving power of grace? Eat the holy meal. That's the promise. Do you see why it's so sacred? Is there saying that God is not theoretical? God is here and eat, eat of it. And he goes as far as to say, what you're going to eat is me. And that is a mystery I'm not going to try to explain. That's how personal the table is to God. Do you see how invested he is in it? It makes sense why the response of the church, the early church, is this. Awe came upon every soul. Just pure awe. Like leaving church going, what happened? I didn't just learn about Jesus. I have Jesus. Jesus is in me. What does this lead to? This kind of supernatural experience. Well, it turns into living a supernatural life. Here's the next thing it says in the verses. Signs and wonders follow that. You think? <laughs> it's like, does it, it actually just make sense? Here's God, the creator of the universe, saving humanity through Jesus, setting a table of grace. The people are going to be changed by that, aren't they? And so here's what happens. His extravagant salvation wells up 
from inside to the point they're so united with Jesus, they're now doing things with Jesus in the power of Jesus. Isn't that radical? How can church ever be boring? How? You've got to work really hard to make something this good boring, in my opinion. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that so publicly. And so here's what he's doing then. The very person of Jesus is inhabiting the people and different aspects of his character, his personality even, his abilities, his ministry, his, um, the things that he's passionate about doing in his ministry then become gifts that people in the church get to express. So Jesus loves to heal people so he makes some of his people in his church have the gift of healing. Do you see it? Jesus speaks the good news, prophesies the good news, so he gives the gift to some people in his church to have prophecy. And prophecy is just the proclamation of Jesus. And on and on and on. Administration, Jesus wants things to be orderly and to make sense and to flow well, and to have purpose and clarity. So Jesus gives people in the church gifts of administration. That those are actually Jesus working in His church to do those tasks. Isn't that rad? So it's this shared ministry that Jesus is working in all of us to build His church with miraculous gifts and and special offerings that each one of us brings to the table. But it all comes down to this point of going, we become like Jesus. We actually take on His image and become like Him. And so what is Jesus? He's sacrificial. That His love says, you are so valuable, I'll give up myself for you. That's the nature of the church. To not only love one another, but to love our neighbors. That's the outflow, the the outcome of the work of Jesus. It says here, the rich care for the needy in the church. All care for the poor in the community. The church is marked by a nature of self-denial. So hear this. This is what it means to be a part of this church. It's different than being like anyone else in this world. This world says, love self above everything else. Serve your desires above everything else. Jesus is saying, I'm going to save you from self. And show you that the true way of happiness is through sacrificial love. And it's not self-suppression or self-destruction. It's salvation of the self. Your truest self exists in love towards others. That's the truest you. Where we live out the Sermon on the Mount. This looks like glad people 
who are overwhelmed by what they've received from God, are generous, they have generous hearts towards other people, and they praise God in all circumstances. Do you know what this leads to and how the world sees Christians? It says that they have favor with other people. Do you know why we would have favor with other people? Because we're happy in Jesus. We're not a threat to other people. We're not coming after them. We're not mean. We're happy in Jesus and loving towards the world. Here's where this ends. With salvations. It says this, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's the keys of that. Jesus does it. Jesus adds people to that church because Jesus wants people to be in his church. We want to be a church that Jesus wants people to be in, I think. But here's the point, is that a church that's devoted on Jesus, it says here that Jesus gets so stoked about, he's finding people to add to them. How's that for like a theology of evangelism? Isn't that rad? And it says he does so day by day. Those who are growing in their understanding of their salvation. Jesus wants to add people to his church. Here's, here's my theory. If churches are in decline and aren't growing, it's because Jesus doesn't want to fill them with people. So here's what it comes down to. Is the church exists for Jesus? Then Jesus will fill it. Now this church here went through hard, long years of holding to Jesus through dry, heavy seasons. And do you know what the fruit of that is? Look around. It's a church full of new people. And for us, for the coming generations, we're going, we now are taking responsibility for the future. So here's the piece I think I want to end with for our youth. You're not just deciding whether or not to be a part of us. I want your eyes, youth. Youths, give me your eyes. Okay? Hang with me for just one more minute. This, your decision is not just to be a part of us. Your decision is to be a part of leading this church in the future. So let me be specific about that. That means this church is your church. That means you have a voice into how this church functions and lives. That means your faith and your following Jesus is meant to be expressed in this church. So part of your decision is you're kind of growing out of kids' church and you're now in, in the big house with us. But here's the thing. This part of church needs to feel like your home. So let me, let me give you an example. If the music isn't really your thing or your style, we're inviting you to make music and to write music. 
You think, I'd love to see a church that does these things and they're connected to Jesus. Then what we're saying to you is, we'll help make it happen. If you dream for this church, we'll back your dreams. Adults, do you agree with me? So there's this combination of going, you receive as an inheritance the truth about Jesus. Your job is to safeguard that and hold that and carry it on for generations to come. Right? We don't choose Jesus. We receive that. But the rest of it is you get to be a part, you get to help us determine how to express that. So we receive the traditions and we hold to them, but we also need to express them in the here and now in ways that make sense to you. And so what we're inviting you to is to hold to Jesus with us and help be a part of leading the future. So you have to understand your baptism or your confirmation for us is a pretty big deal. Because we are so excited for you. We believe in your future with Jesus. And we think that future is bright. And it's going to be a legacy for generations to come. That's what we're committed to. So just a heads up, Easter Sunday is a pretty big party that we're going to be throwing. So next week what I'm going to look at is what does it mean to be Anglican? I'm going to do a bit of a church history 101. So I'm going to unpack some things, so come ready for that. But for today, I think we've heard a lot of invitation from Jesus, haven't we? So let's gather together in celebration, but in faith and in hope, and eat of the grace available to us in Jesus at His table. Amen? So if you would, maybe just take a private moment to prepare your heart for the table. And hear his invitation. Dear friends in Christ, God is steadfast in love and infinite in mercy. He welcomes sinners and invites them to his table. Let us confess and repent of our sins, confident in God's forgiveness. So take a moment to state what are the specifics about your life that you need the saving power of Jesus for. That's your confession. So make that privately to Him.
Let's make our confession together. Lord, remember not our offenses, nor the offenses of our forebears. Spare us, good Lord. Spare your people whom you have redeemed with your precious blood. Spare us, good Lord. From all evil and mischief, from sin, from the crafts and assaults of the devil, from your wrath, and from everlasting condemnation, good Lord, deliver us. From all deadly sin, and from the deceits of the world, the flesh, and the devil, good Lord, deliver us. From all false doctrine, heresy, and schism, from hardness of heart and contempt of your word and commandment, good Lord, deliver us. Now hear the response of God to our confession and to our honesty before him. Almighty God has mercy upon you. He pardons and delivers you from all your sins and confirms and strengthens you In all goodness, this is the work He does. And He will keep you for how long? Into eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you, friends. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. So let's stand together and worship in our forgiveness.